This is recording number 10855 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, February 21, 2010. This is the sixth message in the series by Randy Bolt titled, Under Construction. This message is titled, Restoring Your Soul, Part 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah and then the 6th chapter. And we're going to continue the study that we have been involved in for the last few weeks of this book of Nehemiah looking at the symbolism, the analogy that this book presents to us of the restoration of a person's soul. And we've seen over these weeks amazing progress Last week we read that the wall had been restored to half its height and the, um, all of the uh, breaks joined so that uh, there was continu- continuity. And uh, so much progress is being made. We talked last week about how uh, the adversaries, those who are threatened by the people of God, the Israelites, having an identity again, uh, Sanballat and Tobiah and some others, how, when, how they mounted an attack, an assault against uh, the people of Israel, and yet how God brought that to nothing. Today, we're going to begin reading at verse 15 of Nehemiah 6 and read here some very powerful words. So the wall was finished. Hallelujah. So the wall was finished. If there are any of you who are kind of wondering if that could ever possibly be, if there could ever be recovery to your soul, let me read that again. So the wall was finished. The Bible says that the good work that God has begun in you, He will complete it. He will complete it. Now, I'm not entirely sure that he's ever going to be finished with me this side of heaven. But I do know this. I have a promise that when I go to stand before him, I will be finished. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So the wall was finished. On the 25th day of Elul, in 52 days, this massive construction project was accomplished in very relatively short order 52 days and it happened when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things <laughs> they were very disheartened in their own eyes remember last well, actually uh, a couple of times as we've been through this study we've seen how those who uh, recognize the threat that a restored whole people of Israel posed to them were very uh, disturbed by that and did everything they could to try to stop that from happening. Just like you have an enemy who understands more than you know or will ever know the threat you pose to him and to his kingdom, God's work in your life is uh, something he's not happy about. And last week we talked about how he will throw everything at you, including the kitchen sink, to try to overwhelm and turn you away from, the, from, the, uh, from welcoming God's work in your life. But I love this. Uh, they, they, uh, the, these who oppose the people of Israel, they saw the wall finished and completed and uh, they were disheartened. 
for they perceived that this work was done by our God. Hallelujah. Now, Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 4. Now, the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few and the houses were not rebuilt. So they've been focusing. Nobody wanted to live in the city of Jerusalem because there was no protection. And you had a whole, you know, typically in a city you've got uh, a lot of people in a very small area. And so it forms, uh, you know, for, for uh, an enemy, uh, a, a target. You know, if you're going to go after people, you want to get where they're most concentrated in terms of population. And so to live in, this, in a city in close proximity with a lot of people with no walls, no protection, uh, was not something people were really interested in. And so they were, at this point, the few remnant of, of uh, Israelites that were in the area of Judea and around the surrounding uh, the, the, the area surrounding Jerusalem lived, uh, you know, kind of separated from one another in little enclaves, but not in the cities. And so it was to get the wall set up and restored, but there's not f- very many people living there, and the houses are, are in disrepair. They're, even if they wanted to, there was no place for them to live. And the reason I point this out is because there's an interesting corollary in our lives as the Holy Spirit is at work rebuilding our souls. There's a a point, almost always, there's a point where his recovery and restoration of our souls reaches a place that we then need to grow into. Now, I'm not a dog person, you know that. My wife is, and she teaches me everything I know about dogs. One thing I've heard her say to me when we see a a puppy with great big feet, she'll say, he's going to grow into those feet. You ever heard that? You know, you get a a large breed dog, and... uh, for whatever reason, I'm not even sure this is true, but it appears as though they have these big feet, and Sue will say, pa- okay, pause. <laughs> I tell you, everything I know about dogs comes from my head. And, and she'll say, or whoever, will, that puppy's going to, those people are in for trouble, talking about the owners. I guess they're not owners. What are they? Mom and dad. Mom and dad. Okay. <laughs> Woo. Um, <laughs> they're in trouble. They're in trouble because that, that little gorgeous little puppy is going to grow into those feet. Pause. Pause. Okay. Uh, okay. So there, there is uh, there's something like that in our spiritual journey as God, by His Spirit, is restoring our souls. There will come a point when he, he, there's almost like a pause, P-A-U-S-E, in the, in the process or in the progress of this project. And it's like waiting for us to grow into what he has, to fill out what he has established and recovered for us. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever experienced that in your life? Where the Lord be, says, you know, I, you, you get a glimpse, you start to say, wow, I'm not the same person that I, I used to be. In fact, it, it feels good and right what God is doing in my life. But then you also know with that awareness comes an invitation. I need to step up now. I need to fill this in. There's something waiting for me. I need to move in and establish my home here. To live in this place that God has uh, built for me. And so that's what they're facing. Now, all the people gathered together 
Uh, actually, I, I'm sorry, I, I didn't tell you where I was going. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1 now. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. So we've seen that there is the, the city is awaiting the return of the people and the restoring of their homes. And I'm going to skip the whole part that talks about them doing that and just tell you they did. They moved into the city. They rebuilt their homes. They filled it out. They stepped up. Now, Nehemiah 8, verse 1. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So, get the picture. Walls have been rebuilt. Doors rehung. Now, this place where they gathered, the water gate, you know, had been a wrecked uh, uh, site, you know, debris everywhere. And, and now they can, it's, it's been cleaned up and they can gather there. And all of the people assemble there. And they ask Ezra the scribe to come and bring the book of the law of Moses. That's the Bible. That's the only Bible they had. Think of it as the Old Testament. They ask him to bring it. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday. Now that's at least three hours. Morning to uh, the Jewish mindset was about nine o'clock. Midday, noon. So that's at least three hours. It may, it's a, it's a, not an exact Time frame, so it may have been more than that. When was the last time you stood to listen to somebody read the Bible for three hours? I'll tell you what, if I invited you here this morning to stand and listen to me read the Bible for three hours, there might be my wife here. So that's what's going on here. Uh, verse 3, then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Now, this is unusual. <laughs> those people were just like us. But there's something about this moment and where they are in their life and in their history and in the process of what God is doing in them that to stand before God and to just be exposed to the raw power of his word in that setting was something they, they couldn't get enough of. And I want to submit to you today that it has everything to do with this process of filling out uh, that which God has been at work reestablishing in your life, stepping into, expanding into that restored soul the word of God is pivotal to that process. And when I say the word of God, I mean the Bible. The Bible is pivotal. It's, it's incredibly important in that process. And they understand this. Now skip down to verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, which means so be it. Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then there's a whole list of names in verse 7. These are guys who are uh, priests and Levites, leaders of the people. In the middle of that, verse 7, it says that these guys 
helped the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God. And they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. In other words, this was not just some sort of symbolic or emotional situation. It wasn't just that, oh, uh, it's, it's, a, it's an important spiritual, uh, religious thing to be standing here and listening to the word of God. That may be true. But that wasn't the point. The point was, let's get to understand this thing. And so the scribe Ezra and those who assisted him, the priests, began to give the people the sense to help them to understand what they were hearing. Not just to listen to it, not just to hear it, but to understand it and to grasp it. Verse 9, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or, nor weep. The reason that that is here is because as they began to understand the Bible, as they began to expose their hearts to the, not just the words, but the intents, the intentions of the Bible, it began to cause them to see their sin and to regret the ways in which they had been living in, uh, in disconcert with the word of God. But uh, Nehemiah and Ezra and the other leaders said, don't, don't, don't weep. This is not a day for weeping or mourning. Um, it says, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law, the law. Then he said to them, verse 10, go your way Eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the, Lord, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. I think I'll have more to say about this in a minute, but often when people think about the Word of God, they think about it in terms of not grief, but confrontation with sin. Uh, it seems like almost every page reveals something I'm, I'm not doing right. And frankly, that keeps many of us from really digging into it and diving into it. Because we don't want to open it up and see what's, what's wrong with us. But Nehemiah and, the, and Ezra and the others, that they made it clear, that's not God's intentions. This is, this, is a, this is about the joy of the Lord. This is about a joyful expectation of what God can do and wants to do in your life. And they celebrate instead. Now, verse 13 the next day, this is the, the next day. Now on the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. And they found written the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in booths or in temporary uh, shelters during the, set, the feast of the seventh month. This is happening in the seventh month of the year when they stood there in that open court and Ezra read the scriptures at least for three hours and the priests began to help people understand it and all of that that was happening. This is happening in the seventh month. And in the Bible, in the Old Testament, there were 
some times during the year when people were required, especially the men, were required to assemble before God. Three feasts of the Lord they were, were required to attend. One of them was in the seventh month. And so they're hearing about this as they're reading the word, something they've totally forgotten about. And they read it, and uh, all of a sudden they're reminded, hey, we're supposed to be camped out in temporary shelters. Just This comes at the end of the harvest, and it's supposed to be a grand celebration before God. I won't go into all the details. The Feast of Tabernacles is what it's called. Rich, you know, joyful time. The, the agricultural season has come to an end. The labor and work is over. It was supposed to be a great time of just enjoying each other and God and feasting. And they hadn't done it in who knows how many years. And they see it in the Bible. They say, wait a minute. Here's what they see. They say, our lives don't match the Bible. Verse 17, so the whole assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and sat under the booths for since the day, the days of Joshua, the son of Nun. That's hundreds of years ago. Until that day, the children of Israel had not done so, and there was great gladness. So the point of all that is they, they decide, look, I'm gonna get, we're going to get our lives in sync with this book. We're going to start doing what it says and living that way. Now, <clears throat> let me uh, take the next few minutes just to go back, uh, kind of take a look at what we've just covered and point out a few things about the value of the Word of God. If you want to be a person who grows into that restored soul that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life to do. If you know Christ as Savior, He's at work restoring your soul. If you want to be a person who expands into that, fills it out, you're going to need the Word of God. And the first thing that you're going to need to come to terms with about the Word of God is that we need to value it. We need to value it. These people, when Ezra stood to read from the Bible, they got excited. They raised their hands and they, and they bowed their heads before God and they said, Amen, so be it, so be it. And they stood there and just relished in the Word of God. Now let me tell you, now this admission might get me fired, uh, but it is what it is. I do not, as a rule, look forward to reading the Bible. Now, my wife, if I gave her a choice of what she wanted to do uh, on a day, if she had a day off and I said, honey, what would you like to do today? At the top of the list would be, I'd love to just spend time reading the Bible without any phone calls, without anything else that I have to do, just spend unscripted time reading the Bible. I got to tell you, that's not the first thing on my list. <laughs> and prob probably for many of the same reasons that it may not be at the top of your list either. I have to schedule my Bible reading or it would not get done. Now, it's so funny because it's not true of a, of a uh, John Grisham novel. I'm the first one in line at the bookstore to buy it, or these days I buy it on my Kindle, but... I'm the first one to get it, and I relish that. I'll take, I'll, well, I shouldn't tell you this. I'll sit on the toilet and read that thing. I will, <laughs> you know, I love, <laughs> I have some, some uh, you know, <laughs> some fictional authors that I love to read. It's entertaining. It's, uh, you know, I, I love it. 
Now, I don't have that same desire to read the, the Word of God. I have to schedule it into my life. I have to decide that, that this is important enough. And I know that the Bible and its, its impact on my life is great and powerful. And so I schedule it into my life. I value what it does in me enough to make sure I get my nose in it regularly. So it may not, it may be kind of unrealistic for you to consider, you know, uh, thinking of the value of the Word of God as, oh, goody, I get to read the Bible today. That doesn't really matter. What matters is that you, like I, understand its, its importance and make sure that it gets worked into your life's routine at a high priority. The next thing that you want, I want you to see from what we've read is that <laughs> valuing uh, the scripture is not enough. You got to read it. We got to get our we got to get our nose in this book. Got to get our nose in this book. And you know, reading it is important. I, I here's my my approach. I read the Bible for distance. You know, I try to get as much of it as I can into me. And that means that there's a lot of times I'm reading, you know, so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so. And I, you know, I'm just plowing through it. But I'm reading for distance. Now, I don't see, I'm not saying that this is the way you need to do it. But when I read the Bible just to read it, I'm going for distance. I'm trying to get as much as I can into me. But there's another step to how we, we de- handle the Word of God, and that is to study it. To study it. That doesn't mean you have to be a theologian or a Bible scholar or anything like that. To study the Word of God is just simply uh, like what we read the people uh, in Nehemiah's day did. They... they um, got themselves into a place where someone who might be a little further along in their Bible knowledge than they were could help them get the sense of it, could understand it. This happens every week in our church, in our microchurches. This happens every Sunday here. This happens, it happened yesterday morning at, for our men's uh, institute, and, and it will happen this Friday night at our house for Numa Life. Around here, it happens a lot. And taking advantage of that to not just go for distance, but then to go for substance is incredibly important if we're going to be people who fill out this broad space of of our soul that the Holy Spirit has been recovering. And then we need to obey it. When, like the people of Israel in that day, when they saw something in the Word of God that wasn't happening in their life, instead of excusing this and saying, oh, well, you know, that was for another time, another day, it doesn't really apply to me, and blah, 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 all the things that we, we do to sort of excuse ourselves. Instead of doing that, they said, wait a minute. Let's get ourselves in line with what the Bible has to say. Let's, let's let it shape us. And then... Finally, value it, read it, study it, obey it, and celebrate it. Celebrate it. Gosh, the Word of God is the Bible. Think of it. 
How would you like to have to be uh, trying to figure out how to live the Christian life without this thing? We have a God who is so gracious, so loving, and so kind that he took, uh, he went to extreme measures to make sure that this morning you could hold this in your hand. This love letter to you. This instruction manual. I don't want to make the Bible an idol or, you know, elevate it to some place it's not supposed to be. But I want to love and celebrate the Word of God. Because it's so important and so central to our lives. Turn in your Bibles now from Nehemiah. We're almost done. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, way in the back of your New Testament. 2 Timothy. You'd get a clue from that that there's two Timothys at least. And there are. 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. You want 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That, that means all scripture, the Bible you hold in your hand, is given by, in, by uh, it's God-breathed. Given by inspiration of God means God-breathed, literally. So the, in the Greek, that's what's being said here. All scripture is God-breathed. That means the God of heaven, the maker of everything that is, <sighs> breathed on these pages. So that you could inhale it. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Man, that's good news. That is good news. Let's just focus on these four things that we can celebrate about the Word of God. First, that it is profitable or helpful for doctrine. Doctrine um, means, it just simply means teaching. And it means that the Bible, this passage says that the Bible can be celebrated because it's profitable for teaching. We can learn about God and about our place and His plans. Now, it tells, the Bible does not tell us everything we want to know. But it tells us everything we need to know. It's good. It is complete in providing us the instruction for everything we need to know. It's profitable for reproof. Reproof means protection from falsehood or deception. There's a lot of false teaching out there. There's a lot of... Um, deception out there. And the Bible helps us to navigate life in a way that avoids the pitfalls of that falsehood. It's a guide to us. It's profitable for correction. And that means restoration to the intended state. Everything that's gotten bent out of shape in your life, the Bible, God will use the Bible to bend it back into into its intended shape. Finally, it's profitable for instruction, and that means training for righteous living. Those are things to celebrate.